My name is Latika, and on behalf of Maya Swami Devarshi and myself, I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service at Ananda Village. We especially welcome our guests at the Expanding Light and at the Meditation Retreat, and all of those who are watching online. It's wonderful to have our service outdoors again. Here we are at the beginning of the summer. I'd like to read for, to you from Rays of the One Light. These are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. This week's topic is the eternal now. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. When will I find God? Many devotees have asked this question because worldly goals require time usually for their fulfillment. We imagine time to be a factor in the spiritual path. And so it is, but only because we think it is. God is as much with us now as he will ever be. It is not he who needs to come to us. We need to come to him. And that process of coming is a matter of transforming our self-perception. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 4, Jesus says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are white already to harvest. There is a practical teaching in these words, apart from their statement that we have God already and have only to realize that truth. Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes and look. To hold the eyes uplifted is the best position for meditation, for the seat of superconsciousness lies at a point midway between the eyebrows, in the frontal lobe of the brain, just behind that point. This point is known also as the Christ Center. By lifting up your eyes and concentrating there, you will find it easier to enter the state of ecstasy. That is why saints in every religion have often been observed during states of deep inner communion with their eyes uplifted, focused on the inner light, white, as Jesus said, already to harvest. The Bhagavad Gita goes further into this meditative teaching. In the sixth chapter it states, holding the spine firm, the neck and head erect and motionless, let the yogi focus his eyes at the starting place of the nose, the point between the eyebrows. Let not his gaze roam elsewhere. In meditation, tell yourself, I have him already. I am alive forever in the divine light. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh. everyone wish all fathers a very happy Father's Day and wish everyone a very very blessed and happy first International Yoga Day which I will be talking about. Yes, it's 
Paramahansa Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. I attuned my life with thine. Now my life has become a long, unbroken inspiration. Thy fountain of bliss refreshes and delights me night and day, whether I be wakeful, fast asleep, or dreaming fondly of thee. Oh, what has become of me? Delight on overwhelming delight. Endless, indescribable thrills of divine delight spray unceasingly over me. O aged nectar, wine of centuries, I found thee at last, and will taste of thy sweetness forever, forever, forever. Well, this beautiful reading, and on a day that also is a reminder of how we achieve this eternal oneness in union with God. Today is the very first International Yoga Day for those who don't go on the internet and aren't aware of that. It was a UN resolution that was actually passed and people all over the world are celebrating this day of yoga. And most of what you'll see is people doing the Hatha Yoga and the, the yoga postures. But there are also people focusing the way that we do here more on the, the much larger, broader aspect of yoga that Swami Kriyanandaji has given us. Yoga is both a philosophy, it's one of the main philosophies that underline Hinduism. It's also a practice, and it's also many practices that we do here with the Ananda Yoga, Kriya Yoga, meditation. And someday I think we will see so much more of this practice of Kriya Yoga and meditation spreading all over the world. When I first started practicing yoga and meditation, it was 1973. And I think it took me about five to seven years of practicing it occasionally, but being avidly interested in it, before I could ever find another yogi. Because you just could not find people teaching yoga and practicing it where I grew up. I knew I had to come to California, where the yogis were, <laughs> and all the other crazy people were, but I knew the yogis were we're here in California. And it was delightful to see that there is an awareness that yoga is this broad, expansive thing. The, the Prime Minister of India today, in Delhi, there were 35,000 people doing yoga postures together. And the Prime Minister, who was behind actually this UN resolution, he was quoted, and I was delighted to see, he was quoted as saying that yoga is so much more than what we're seeing here today the yoga postures. And the way he put it was very poetic and very similar to what we've been taught here with Ananda Yoga given to us by Swami Kriyananda. He said that the yoga postures in a way are simply like tuning a musical instrument before you play the instrument. And so you can spend a whole life just tuning the musical instrument nonstop, or you can really get the fruits of working with the Hatha Yoga in an inward way and using it to really deepen our awareness of what this reading is about today. And so this question that's asked, I think probably everyone asks it at one time or another, when will I find God? When will this suffering, this separation finally be over? And it's sort of an, a good question. I, I've asked it myself, when will I be fully liberated? Unfortunately, it's not a very good question to ask. A much better question to ask is, 
how will I find God? Because you can sit and ask when, 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 for eternity, in fact. I'm going to read something that Paramahansa Yoganandaji said. He said, I don't want to hear any of you moaning, when will I find God? As if your own answer to that question were never. You have him already. You need only to live in that consciousness. There's a beautiful recording of Yoganandaji saying the same passage, telling people that he was bemoaning the fact that people are asking, when will I find God? And he said with the, the divine power that only a great saint or master who knows God can say. He said, you have him, you have him, with great power and emphasis. And so all we need to do is understand how to become aware of that. And simply yoga, in a way, is developing that awareness, that understanding, that we can do it even now, in this very moment. And so yoga gives us the tools, the, the wisdom, the understanding of how to do that. And that simply is the way to find God. It's not a long journey in distance or in time. It's a very short, very short journey to right now in this moment. Paramahansa Yogananda described essentially our spiritual path, but really the path that everyone follows. He, he described it as self-realization. He said, self-realization is the knowing in all parts of body, mind, and soul that I am now in possession of the kingdom of God. I need not pray that it come to me. God's omnipresence is my omnipresence, and all I need is to improve my knowing. And it's very simple, that last sentence, all I need is to improve my knowing, essentially describes what the deeper aspects of yoga are really all about. They're all designed to help us to improve our knowing of who and what we already are. And we don't have to go anywhere, we don't have to do anything. We very simply have to wake up to the fact that we do have it right here and now. There's a story, very dumb story, but I'm going to tell it anyways, <laughs> of a traveler. And this traveler is going on a long journey, and he comes to a river that's blocking his way. And he just cannot see how to cross the river to get to the other side. And he's looking up and down and across, and it's a long ways across. And finally he sees somebody way over on the other side of the river. And he shouts out, how can I get to the other side? And this person on the other side is a fairly simple-minded person. But very often the greatest wisdom comes from the, the greatest simplicity. And this person looked around and he looked up the river and down the river, looked at himself, he looked at this person on the other side. He puzzled this out for a while and he just uh, was very puzzled by this question. And finally he gave what he thought was probably a disappointing answer, but he shouted out, You're already on the other side! <laughs> well, for all of our seeking, for all of our asking, when will I get there? As children, I think, this question of when will I find God, it comes from our childhood of being on these long trips with our parents. Are we almost there yet? When am I going to get there? And really, the process of meditation, of Kriya Yoga, these things, 
are helpless to simply understand that we are already there. The real meaning of yoga and what Paramahansa Yoganandaji gave us on this beautiful path of Kriya Yoga, these sacred teachings, is based on the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And his definition of yoga is the most simple and succinct and really the most to the heart of any definition of yoga. In the Sanskrit he said, yogas chitta vritti nirod, which is that yoga is the neutralization of the ways of feeling in the heart. And this is really the way to find that eternal freedom. The reason that we don't see it, the reason we don't understand it, the way that we improve our knowing is simply to calm these emotional ways of feeling in the heart. In all the practices of yoga, if you really understand them, even the Hatha Yoga, if you practice it with the understanding of that goal, you'll find that you can get so much more from these things if you have the ultimate understanding of the goal, which is that when we calm these waves of feeling in the heart, we start to calm the mind, we start to calm and get rid of the clouds and the veil that separate us from knowing who and what we are, even right now. And when one wakes up with that understanding of who and what we have always been, there is also the understanding that it's always been this way. We've never been separate from God. We've always been part of God. And all that we need to do is awaken to that, improve our knowing, and understand that. And so all the different paths of yoga are all designed to help us to improve that knowing. Kriya Yoga, that our gurus gave to us, particularly works with this in the most direct way. People think that in order to uh, become free, that it's all in the intellect, in the mind. And so people spend, I bet, many, maybe hundreds of thousands of lifetimes trying to think their way out of this delusion. And what Patanjali was saying with his definition of yoga is that it's not the mind and the intellect that is the problem. It's the emotional waves of feeling in the heart. And so what Kriya Yoga does, and why Yogananda said that Kriya Yoga is the greatest technique ever given to mankind to find freedom from, essentially, from this separation. And so what Kriya Yoga does, it starts with developing an awareness inwardly of this process of what is happening, why we are suffering. This, in a way, this awareness is becoming more and more popular today with practices such as mindfulness, which helps one to understand and observe the thoughts, the mind, everything around us. But that's just a start. Swami Kriyananda, but it's an important start. Swami Kriyananda Ji said something, it's a truth that he was talking about with Ananda Yoga, but can be applied to practically anything in life. He said, it's a very succinct truth. He said, awareness precedes control. And before we can control emotions, before we can start to work with anything, even working with a child who's working with their emotional energies, we first need to become aware. And once we have that awareness, then we can start to take charge of our emotions, of the life force. And this is what Patanjali described as pranayama, control of the life force. Yoganandaji said that pranayama is not a technique, pranayama is a condition. And there are pranayama techniques that give us that condition. But ultimately, 
the goal of practices such as Kriya is to give us control of the life force. When we have control of that life force, then, and really only then, can we start to calm these waves of deep feeling in the heart and calm these uh, vrittis, uh, as Patanjali described them, and finally remove that veil that separates us. It doesn't really separate us. It's really we are doing the separating. Again, we are one. We are free even in this moment. We just can't see it. And so this reading today describes probably the most simple, basic, and perhaps the most important technique of yoga, which is simply looking upwards to the point between the eyebrows. And so people look for freedom outside of themselves. And again, I think it's another few hundred thousand lifetimes people spend seeking it outside of themselves. And what this reading describes very simply is looking upward to the spiritual eye, to the point between the eyebrows, offering ourselves up there, going within, and finding freedom through a very, very simple technique of yoga. And essentially the whole science of yoga is a whole series of very practical, very simple techniques, similar to this looking upwards, that change our consciousness, that calm those waves of feeling in the heart, that help us to become inwardly free, that really it's very, very simple. There are so many different philosophies that in a way try to complicate things because I think many humans prefer the complexity and talking and a lot of talking about the philosophy and the complications and trying to play sort of mental games with all of it and enjoy that. And that's probably another couple hundred thousand lifetimes <laughs> of doing that. It's only after trying all those complicated things and doing this and that, that one comes back to the very simplicity of it, which is that very simply these practices, these, these techniques really are extraordinarily simple. They work in the end with, again, these feelings that Patanjali talks about. And in order to calm those feelings, we don't do it with the mind or intellect. In fact, Yogananda said that reason follows feeling. And you will see that people who uh, promote themselves as being very reasonable, that if you look at their very reasonable arguments for a particular thing, that is because they have just an emotional like or dislike in their heart or in their mind in some way. And it colors their perception. And so we work with feeling and not with the mind. It's also interesting, Swami Kriyanandaji has talked about this, and, and science is also starting to tune into this more, which is that the heart, even the physical heart, but especially the heart center, where these ways of feeling that Patanjali described, the heart is actually a tool of perception. We actually perceive and can perceive with the heart as much as we can with the brain. Uh, recently, uh, an acupuncturist was telling me that some studies recently have discovered that some of the taste receptors for different kinds of taste, bitter, sour, sweet, many of them have their location in the heart, and the heart is actually perceiving these things. And in acupuncture, and this is some scientific studies that tuned into this, and this is why different flavors can actually affect our consciousness even on the level of the heart. And so when you work with this way of perception, because Yoganandaji said that 
when we experience God in deep meditation, he said that we perceive God not with the mind, but with the intuition. And he defined intuition as deep, calm feeling. And so try when you meditate, when you tune into divine truths, when you try to understand your life and what it is that's keeping you from knowing in this very moment who and what we really are, try to perceive with your heart and with your intuition more than with your mind. The way that Swamiji put it when he did an expanded version of his reading today, he talked about how to look up to the spiritual life because I think people tend to have a more mechanistic and mechanical and physical approach to many things because that's how we're used to working. And so people think to look up to the spiritual eye is really just about the physical eyes. And that if we just look with enough physical tension there, then we'll see the spiritual eye. But it's more about intuitively, again, using the heart, the intuition as a tool of perception and looking upward. Swamiji has also taught that people who are trying to see the spiritual eye, sometimes they try too hard with tension and with this way of looking physically. He said sometimes, instead offer yourself up to that point between the eyebrows. Offer the feelings of the heart up there with devotion and with self-offering. And when you do that, that's working with intuition and that's working with the perception of the heart. The way he describes it here is and he ties it into this idea of we already have that. We just are not looking in the right place and in the right way, both. In God's realm, the principles of cause and effect do not apply as they do here on earth. Extending this thought into the sphere of religious attitudes, it should be clear that there is no need to dwell on thoughts of one's sinfulness and unworthiness. For divine grace is ours eternally, if we will but dwell in it with confidence in God's love for us. The Lord can liberate the soul from delusion in a trice. All that we, his children, need to do is wholeheartedly lift up the chalice of our devotion in deep prayer and inner communion to receive the effects of God's light. And he's describing here this offering of the chalice of our devotion up to the spiritual eye where we can then receive with the heart's perception and reception the grace of God that will change us. Ultimately, the goal of yoga, we, I think if you asked many of the millions of people practicing <coughs> yoga today, what is the goal of yoga? You would hear many, many different answers. But in the end, Patanjali in his great yoga sutras describe the ultimate goal as divine union, union with God, union with divine bliss in ourselves. And this he explained as the final limb or stage in his eight-limb path, which is the state of samadhi and final union with God. I think what we'll do now is we'll try to tune into that samadhi state because it's important to remind ourselves of that goal on a regular basis. Paramahansa Yoganandaji, one of the great contributions that he made was this very poetic rendition of that samadhi state. And as a perfect example of how it doesn't matter where you are, spiritually, physically, 
mentally, you can tune into that right here and now. He wrote that poem on the New York subway. I was recently in New York City, and I traveled on the subway. And it was an, even the person, the New Yorker who was with me, said it was an exceptionally loud subway day with the screeching and the restlessness. And I could not imagine how one could go into samadhi in that time and place. But this is why I think Yoganandaji did this for us. He was teaching us that anywhere you are, you go within, you look up to the point between the eyebrows, you work with the awareness and perceiving again with the heart, and it's right here and now. It's not over there, it's not some other time. And so we'll end by listening to Yogananda, his poem, Samadhi. We'll listen to Swami Kriyananda reading this beautiful poem. And as you listen to this poem, listen with the, the heart rather than with the mind. Try to tune into the consciousness of this poem, into the expansion of it, into the eternity of it. One of the lines is, eternity and I, one united ray. And so let's tune in and let's be receptive and let's practice true yoga here as we listen to Swamiji reading this poem.